I can invite you to turn in your Bibles if you'd like to follow along. The scripture reading comes this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Matthew writes, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning we continue our sermon series as we look and talk and think about our vision statement that we share as a church to grow with God, grow with others, and grow in our service to the world, especially as we look at it, as we think about the Great Commission. Jesus' words to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8 that he shared with them before he ascended into heaven. As he commissioned them, as he gave them a charge, as he gave them instructions of what they were to do upon his leaving their presence. Matthew 28:19 says Jesus told them, "Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them what I have commanded you." Jesus spoke these words to those who loved him, to those who followed him, and he spoke them to those who would come after that 11 who was gathered there in that time. Post-resurrection, listening to the Master who had come back. Who had come out of the tomb and who was living yet again before he ascended. It's a message that's been shared for thousands of years. As a people of faith, as you and I have come and have encountered it. And have allowed the Holy Spirit to change our lives. As we allow God to lead us. And so each week we've been talking and thinking and looking about the different ways that you and I can engage in our own spiritual practices as we think about what it means for us to be a Great Commission people as we choose to grow in our faith with God and in our relationships with others and in our service to the world. Each week we've talked about a different spiritual practice that we can employ as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission for our life and for our community and for the people that we come in contact with. Two weeks ago we we talked about how prayer helps us to, to grow spiritually and helps us to discern what God would have for us. Last Sunday we talked about Bible reading and the different ways that the Bible helps us to engage God's Word so that we do grow as individuals and with others and in our service. And this week we're going to be talking about worship. As I ask myself the question, how does worship help me to grow in my faith? What can it do? And how can my approach to worship 
help others to encounter God. But this morning, I think the first question that we have to engage as a people of faith together is to ask ourselves, what is worship to me? I'll give you a minute to think about that. Because maybe there's something in the service order that we do that that's what worship is to you, that that's what helps you to connect with God each week and to remember that you're not alone and that you're part of a greater story of faith in this world. Maybe it's a song, maybe it's the prayer, maybe it's something, maybe it's the scripture, I don't know. But I want you to answer that question for yourself. What is it to me? There are many churches that practice many different worship styles and I'm not here to say that there's any one way for us to worship because we see people of faith do different things and each of them helps them to encounter God and to engage their faith in their world. But my intent today for us to think about worship is to think about how worship helps us to encounter God. It's to help us see how the scriptures present to us a way that God encounters his people and a way that God has continually chosen to encounter his people when they gather together. Because really as I've thought about it, worship is about the, it's about the encounter. It's about you and I coming together as a people of faith and choosing to encounter God, making the step where we put ourselves in a place where we can encounter God. And we do it with other people. As God engages us and engages each other, the Holy Spirit works in and through us. As God helps us to come to this place together, we encounter Him in different ways. But it's in the encounter that we make ourselves a people of God. As we worship the one who gives us life and who offers us love and who gives us a relationship with Him. See, in its root, as I've thought about worship this last week, for me in some ways, it's about the encounter. It's about us coming together with the expectation that we're going to see God and meet God. That we expect it, that we seek it, that we actively look it out and search it out as we seek to grow together. The first scripture I want to look at this morning comes from Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. This is a very familiar scripture to most of us. This is a story of Moses. It's the beginning of Moses' actual ministry. The first two chapters of Exodus actually deal with Moses' childhood. If you'll remember, Moses is is, um, born in Goshen, the land where the Hebrews are enslaved there in Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh makes the edict that all the young boys are to be killed. But Moses' mom takes him and puts him in the reed basket in the river Nile where he's found by Pharaoh's daughter and he's raised in the Egyptian you know, palace of Pharaoh until Moses sees a Hebrew slave master um, abusing another slave and Moses kills him in trying to stop him and he flees into the desert. And so our scripture reading this morning catches up with Moses. He's a man, he's got a family, he's married a a woman, he's married a Midianite, whose father is Jethro, who's a priest of Midian, and Moses is caring for his father-in-law's flocks. And that's where we read and catch up with him today. Because the scriptures say that Moses looks over and he sees a bush, 
that's burning in the distance there on this mountain. As Bernie Bernie was reading our scripture this morning, it caught my ear where his translation said, Moses went to the edge of the desert. So he went somewhere that there wasn't anybody, that there's not a lot of plants or anything else, but yet he sees this bush burning. And then as he watches it, we don't know how close he is, he sees that the bush is not being consumed by the fire. As the flames are licking the leaves and the stems and the branches and everything else, you can picture it in your head, Moses sees that nothing is going away. That the fire is just upon the bush, but it's not actually consuming the bush. And so he goes. He goes to see what is going on. And I believe that that is why this passage of scripture is placed in this part of the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus. Because the writer of Exodus wants us to see that it was in Moses' going that God chose to encounter him. He goes. He goes to see, it's in his choice to go to the bush, that Moses experiences an encounter with God. But Moses had to go. In fact, if you go and look in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, it said that the Lord saw him coming and then decided to speak with him. See, God could have called Moses anywhere on that mountain, there on Mount Horeb. He could have spoken out to him from any rock or bush or anything else. He could have had one of the sheep speak to him, for all we know. But what we do know, is that this, and what we know that the Scripture is telling us, is that God encounters and chooses to encounter those that make the choice to approach him. Moses had to go. He had to respond. He had to place himself in a spot where God would tell him to remove his sandals for the ground that he was on was holy. And that's the first thing I believe that we can read from today's scriptures about worship. Is that we have to make ourselves available. See, in Moses' story, I, I think, like I said a minute ago, that God could have spoken to him from anywhere. But yet, God wanted Moses To have to choose. God wanted Moses to have to respond. And in doing so make himself available. So that he could encounter God. In Moses' story I think God took an ordinary man and chose him to deliver his people. He was an ordinary guy living in a faraway land. He wasn't even with his people. But God chose him. To fulfill part of his larger plan in delivering the people of Israel. And offering a relationship to all of creation. See the reason though that God spoke to Moses. Is because Moses went and placed himself where he can, in a place where he can encounter God. I don't think Moses anticipated encountering God there on that mountain. I don't know. How God approached Moses. But what I do know is that Moses approaching the bush is what God's God to say he is right. His heart is right. Something about him is right. Much like what we think about when we think in 1 Samuel when David is anointed. It was not because of David's stature that God chose to work through him in the people of Israel's life. But it was because of David's heart, wasn't it? And see, God knows. And so God looked at Moses and saw his response and knew how his heart and his drive and who he was going to be and what he was going to be. And so he chose to speak. 
God didn't call him before he chose to look. God didn't say, oh, you noticed the burning bush. Moses, come over here. He let Moses put himself in the place where he could encounter God. And in that encounter, history was made. So I think that's the first thing we can learn today or we can remember today when we think about worship. Is that when we choose to encounter God in the context of worship, we place ourselves in the position where God can use us and history is made as well. If we look through the generations of church history, we see where people have faith, have gathered together to listen to God with one another and put themselves in the position where God could encounter them. Revival didn't just happen out of nothing, but revival happens out of people of faith making themselves available to where God can speak and God can connect with them. And God can say that the land, that you, the ground that you are standing on is holy because it's a place that I am meeting you. The second thing I think we can believe, bring from the scriptures this morning as we think about the context of worship and what does it mean for us to worship God, comes from a different scripture that we haven't read this morning, but it's one that's familiar to many of you. It comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 3. To set the stage, Samuel is a young boy whose mother was unable to conceive, and so she went to the temple, and she prayed to God there at the temple of Shiloh before it was in Jerusalem, and she just said, God, give me a son, and if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you, and he will live in your temple, and he will serve you. And God heard Hannah's cry. He heard Hannah's plea and gave her a child. And Hannah took the baby when he was 12 years old back to the temple and left him there where he was to serve in the temple. Samuel worked for a priest named Eli and Eli had two sons named Hophni and Phinehas. Eli was the priest. His sons were going to assume that responsibility because it was something that was passed on according to your family. Except his sons did evil in the eyes of God and they took the sacrifice that wasn't for them and they had relationships that were inappropriate with the women who came to the temple and they generally did anything that they could to abuse their position until eventually when their dad even spoke out to them about it, they ignored him and they kept doing what they were doing. See, God chose Eli at the beginning. God chose his family to be the the, the representatives, the priests. But yet by their choices, Eli not correcting his sons, his sons not listening and following God's instruction, they were told that they would no longer be the priestly family to serve in the temple, that Eli would be the last priest in his family to serve in the temple. But see, this morning scripture, as I'm looking at it, it comes from 1 Samuel 3, and it's where Samuel is called by God. But I want to begin the first verse. The second verse actually says this. It says, Now the boy Samuel was serving the Lord under Eli. The Lord's word was rare at the time, and the visions weren't rightly known. See, there's a reason that that's put in this scripture. Because it tells us about Eli, and it tells us about the type of worship that he was leading and offering to the people. It tells us about the ways that they were choosing to offer sacrifices and the ways that they were choosing to engage in the worship of their Lord. 
Because when the word of the Lord is rare, it means that people aren't really placing themselves in a position to encounter God, doesn't it? When there aren't visions of God, it means that people aren't praying and listening and searching and seeking and discerning. See, the reason the writer puts that in there is to tell us that God said something had to change. And so he picked this young boy who's still a teenager serving there in the temple. And so we read a story of Samuel sleeping and God calls him and Samuel wakes up and runs to Eli and says, you called me and Eli says, no. It happened again, finally a third time. And the third time Eli realized that maybe it's God speaking. And so he tells Samuel to lay there when he hears the voice again and just say, speak Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel returned to his pallet and laid there and fell asleep and God called him again and he said, speak, Lord. And his response to God's call allowed him to become one of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel. Maybe of all time. But see, Samuel was able to encounter the Lord because of Eli's remembering. Eli may not have been listening to God's call himself. Eli may not have been offering his life in a way that helped others to uh, to worship the Lord. But thankfully, Eli remembered. And he told Samuel to tell God, speak. I'm your service and I'm, I'm listening. See, this is actually kind of a good thing about Eli. Too often I think we read sermons or we read stories or we talk about Eli and and we look at the things that he wasn't doing. But I think what he tells us today is that just being here, what his story tells us today is that just being in the presence of worship doesn't mean that we're worshiping. If it's not about here. And if it's not in our minds. And if it's not us fully engaging in the things that we're doing and in the praise we're offering to God. Just being in the worship's presence doesn't mean that we encounter God. It doesn't mean that we encounter God's Word. Eli was the chief priest of all the people. He should have been the one that was hearing and listening and seeing and thinking and and encountering God. Yet he hadn't heard the Word of the Lord for a long time. 1 Samuel 3 says, Visions were scarce. In a sense, God was silent. But yet, thankfully, he remembered how to encounter God. And he told Samuel how to do it. To respond to God's call in his life. So that the Lord would speak to him. You know, I think our danger in worshiping is approaching it without the expectation that we're going to hear the Lord. Our danger in worshiping is approaching it thinking that it's something that we do each week, but it's not an opportunity for us to encounter God in a new way and in a different way. Eli's story shows us how easy it is for us to just offer worship like it's routine. But this story also tells us that we have to open ourselves to God. That our attitude, our expectation, our encounter that the Lord brings us is what brings us to His face and to His feet. 
see in worship, we have to expect the encounter. The third thing I think we can learn about worship this morning from the scriptures comes from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. It's the story of the transfiguration. It's a passage that is familiar for many of us. We read it almost every year, about a week or two after Easter. Jesus, Peter, James, and John have gone to the mountain to pray. There Jesus is transfigured. Or my translation this morning says that he is transformed with a bright white light, almost like the sun. Moses and Elijah appear and they speak with him there on the mountain. And Peter, James, and John are just astounded and so they fall to their face. They hear the voice of God saying, this is my son. Listen to him. And so Peter says... Maybe we should build shrines or tents, depending on your translation up here, for you, Jesus, and Moses, and Elijah. Yet I think the thing that we can learn today from Jesus' experience on that mountain, from that time of worship, is that his worship did not stay on the mountain. Yes, Jesus went to the mountain and he encountered God. Yes, Jesus went to the mountain where God spoke in and to his world, but he returned to the valleys. Back to the lands where he knew that he would be challenged and he would face the temptation of sin and he would eventually be crucified. Because he knew what was before him. And so worship in this example is something that gave Jesus life. It gave him an opportunity to encounter God and to strengthen himself, to receive guidance and encouragement to go on. And to re-enter, re-enter the, the world. His time of worship gave him strength. To move forward in faith. Knowing that God's plan was unfolding. As it had been envisioned before the creation. Worship is what equipped him. Worship was what strengthened him. And worship is what sent him back into the world. And so in our worship together, as we answer what is worship, to me as I think about worship today, it's us choosing to encounter God and making a place that we worship a holy place. As we put ourselves in a position to hear God's voice and to see God, just like Moses. Or we have to be like Samuel and we have to be open to listening to God when we worship, expecting the encounter to happen. But putting ourselves in a place where God can and will speak to us. And then Christ gives us the example of using worship as a way to strengthen ourselves. To be centered in our journey of faith with one another. To be refueled and refreshed and given the energy and strength and the grace to take out into the world. So that we can go back into that which God has created us. Into that which God has called us to be in ministry to and with. Worship's not something that we do here and keep it here. But it's something that we take out into the world so that in all things we can make disciples in His name. Taking this message of grace and hope and love to all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that in all things God may be glorified and God's people may be changed by our encounters with Him. Amen.